0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? It's a beautiful day
1: in the neighborhood, by God.
0: Coming to you live from the Conradison Studios here in Huntsville, Alabama, Uh, man, I gotta tell you, this is something I've wanted to talk about for a long time. The last Monday Night Nitro happened. It was March 26, 2001. Uh, Is this one of the highlights of your career? One of the top 10
1: moments? Yes, absolutely. It was history in the making, and I gotta be a part of it. And uh, it's it's kind of a cool story, because it was a big deal at the time, but
0: in hindsight, man, it's an even bigger deal, because the wrestling business changed forever that day. And I don't know that People really grabbed the, um, I don't know that people grasped the, the gravity of the situation at the time. I mean, it was a big deal because it was the end of the Monday Night Wars, but I think people thought, well, something else will pop up. And nothing ever really did. I know TNA existed, but I guess it exists. You know what I
1: mean. It's just, it's, not well, it's not, well, you know. It's not the same. No, it's, it's not. And, but at the time, it was an end of an era, and... It was a situation that had come to a head like a big nasty pimple and it all just popped. And then after you cleaned it up, you realized, wow, there's not much there. Bet you never heard that analogy in regards to WCW just being a big nasty pimple that popped. And then there wasn't much there at the end.
0: You could also say that it's kind of what happened in the wrestling business. It feels like the WWF has not been the same since. Uh, I, I feel like... Everybody does their best work when they have competition, and uh, I know that they're trying to compete with themselves right now, but it's certainly not what we had with the Monday Night Wars. But before we can talk about that night specifically, let's lay a little bit of backstory, which is what we like to do here on the show. Uh, Eric Bischoff was quoted as saying, towards the end of 1998, around August, it started to become very apparent to me that Time Warner and their conglomerate didn't really want WCW to survive. Um, it was obvious to me because of the things they were doing to us, reallocating budgets that had been already allocated and cutting budgets that had already been approved six months or a year in advance. Uh, Bischoff would go on to leave WCW in the fall of 1999. And when he came back in the spring of 2000, he realized that WCW was just not going to survive this new AOL time Warner merger. Uh, so he starts pitching Brad Siegel on selling the company. Uh, Meaning if he didn't want to fix it, maybe he should sell it. So by late 2000, Siegel finally agrees and Eric starts to shop for a deal. Uh, Who Bischoff found were Brian Bedall and Steve Greenberg of Fusion Media Ventures. And they founded the Classic Sports Network in 1995 and then sold it to ESPN a couple years later for $175 million. So these guys have some cash and they're familiar with uh, sports entertainment and they're familiar with television. Uh, so Bischoff winds up raising $67 million with Fusion Media Ventures to purchase WCW, uh, and this all happens at the end of 2000. Uh, and somewhere around here, a new wrinkle is introduced where Siegel wants 10 years of the programming for TBS as part of that contract, and Ted Turner is supposedly furious at the decision to sell and demands the programming does not wind up with Rupert Murdoch or Fox Networks, of course, knowing that, uh, Ted Turner has a heart on for Rupert Bischoff reports meetings with Fox and FX probably to just lock down the TV deal. Now I'm freestyling that as a guess, but don't you think that would be the smart play here, Bruce, if you know for sure that Turner doesn't like Rupert Murdoch and you as Bischoff are wanting to lock down the TV contract. does it seem like something you'd float out there. Well, sure. I would
1: float it out there anyway, just to make the deal more appealing. Sure. But it. Truth be told, at the time, Turner with AOL was on his way out.
0: Absolutely. Uh, In 2000, WCW lost around $60 million, uh, a significant amount of money, the most any wrestling company's ever lost in a year. Got to be, right, Bruce? I would think so. So they do away with house shows and combine the Nitro and Thunder tapings as a cost-cutting measure. Uh, It's worth mentioning here, Bruce, that they were averaging a 2.4 rating in the last quarter of 2000. And only doing a 2.1 towards the end. Uh, by the way, Raw this past week did a
1: 2.97. Roll Tide. Wow, look at you. You've been yeah, in Alabama enough now. We're getting a little exactly. Roll Tide action. Roll Tide. we got to explain that one day to our viewers. No, nah, they'll season. figure it out. Okay. It's, it's worth a Google. Uh, right. 2.4. This is viewed as the death
0: knell. Like, oh my God. There's 2.4. Shut it down. Now, obviously, they're losing cash
1: too. But... Uh, I mean, we're at 297 now. Yeah, I know. But the the landscape, the television landscape at the time was different. There weren't as many. There's still, you know, it's, it's hard to believe in 2016 years ago, we thought we had reached the limit of our channels for television, our choices for entertainment. And now you look at the choices for entertainment with Netflix, DirecTV, and all the different streaming services that are out there. And we thought it was bad back then. Yeah. So you had a different it was a different time and a different landscape in the television business
0: let me save you the tweets uh direct tv existed in 2000
1: i, I understand that but direct direct tv they have on being, demand now yes and I, on I knew servers. what you meant you knew what i meant you know, thank you thank you, know. you you know thank you for saving me uh <laughs> the tweets some tweets because i'll just my thumbs are fat and i'm old as conrad says and every time that i mistakenly think i'm answering a message and i'm actually tweeting and he will just look at me and say this is what happened when old men tweet. Yeah. Or email or, or email anything else. Or anything to do with you know, the well, new wave know. stuff. Well, you know. There's this new wave stuff, email. One stuff. of the things I want to talk about with the
0: television ratings here is because of the Monday Night Wars, and that's what I have to credit it for, so many wrestling fans are really enamored and fascinated with ratings as if it's the end all be all indicator. For business, and and there's a whole lot of folks online who say, "Well, business is obviously down." Talking about the current product <laughs> because the
1: ratings are down. But God, I wish it was down back then as much as it is now. Oh, it's terrible. Good God! So
0: let me just uh, let's just play this out for a minute. Why are television ratings significant?
1: Well, television then or now, ever. Well, it gives you an indication of the size of your audience that's watching your program. Now, come on. I'm talking about money. Oh, money. Well, advertisers, because that's what the advertisers, they base what they're going to pay based on the rating that your program is delivering.
0: So the higher the rating.
1: Higher the rating, the higher the ad revenue.
0: So ad revenue is just one piece of a business indicator of a revenue stream. So this is independent of merchandising and licensing and live events. And to, you know, it, it, all the other stuff at right. the time, pay-per-view, everything else network now, but you know what I mean? There's sure. There's a thousand different revenue maybe not a thousand. There's a half dozen really significant revenue streams that kind of everything falls into a category and television as it is the way it is right now with the WWF, they receive a huge rights fee and this, yes, they do get a little bit of inventory, But they're getting paid whether the rating is real high or real low. Sure, on their share and their split of uh, the ad revenue from the the stuff that is sold, that money can fluctuate. And if it's really low for a really long time, yes, it could affect their rights fees the next time they renegotiate and the next time the contract's up. But that's not an indicator. That's not the end-all be-all, rather, as
1: to whether or not business is up or down. Absolutely not, because... You have, as you said, you have your live event you have your licensing deals with merchandising and every one of those outlets adds up and the way that you used to make money in the television business, well, the wrestling business on television was the ad time that you could sell. And then I will never forget sitting in the conference room in the fourth floor in Titan Towers and Someone came in to show us the future of advertising on television, and they took an Olympic program, and they took uh, just feeds from the Olympics, and they showed us about how the 44-yard dash was brought to you by McDonald's. Citibank sponsors this replay, and, and all every breath out, every every uh, As a sponsor. line was a sponsor, and the way they place them all over, and you look at the show now. And there it is. The replay is brought to you by 2K17, K Jewelers. And all of that is revenue. Yeah. Every bit of it. And there is no better, in my opinion, company that exploits and gets every single penny from advertisers. Now, the advertising and the sponsorships, in my opinion, are relatively cheap for the WWE because they always over deliver and they, they will always give more to an advertiser and, and, and wrestling advertising
0: has always been historically considered lowbrow and pennies oh, on the dollar, right? You know, golf may get a fraction of the rating, but command a much higher, higher ad rate and get sponsors like Lexus or yes. Rolex. Whereas, you know, raw is
1: not getting that, but Uh, You got to take hats off to WWE for the way that they do go after their sponsors and their advertisers. And if there's something to sponsor, they'll sell it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, it's worth mentioning. There's lots of talk, at least online during their most recent pay-per-view where they were doing lots of fan cutaways and fan reactions in the replays. Uh, it had a sponsor. Of course. So if you wonder, Hey, where are all these replays in here? Why are the, come on, that's a sponsor. It's a revenue stream. Uh, but the, the reason ratings were relevant back then, as wrestling fans and even from a front office standpoint, is you guys were competing. Yes. And so if you had a two, if if you had a, if they had a two point four and you had a three point one, it was high fives all around.
1: We won. Well, those were numbers that could be discussed. We weren't going to discuss what the house actually was and what the revenue was, what our rights fees were, and things like that. There was no public. Record. So of course, so ratings were something that you could look at. From the outside looking in and go, okay, well, two is higher than one. Yeah. You know, three is higher than two. Because with everything else, you can gamify it. And not
0: saying you would lie about attendance, Dave Meltzer, but, you know, people... Meltzer lied about
1: attendance all the time.
0: You don't have to cough that under your breath. All right, let's move along. Uh, The creative here... Is, uh, not good for WCW in 2000. Uh, and I'm sure by now everyone listening has a few different examples that they could list or that come to mind, but I did find one that I found interesting that, uh, I have to mention. <laughs> Feels like we talk about him a lot. If I ever meet this guy in person, he's going to punch me in the mouth and I've never even met him. Oh. Terry Taylor once pitched, uh, an angle for or a gimmick rather for an evil architect named Bill Ding. Does this surprise you? No. Supposedly, allegedly, he was also credited with Hugh Morris, Perfect Sean,
1: and Terra Rising. There you go. Isn't it? Need I say? I mean, do do I really have to make a comment on that? Does it not speak for itself? Well, you know. You know. Uh, Spend my days working hard on the go. I got requests for that. I'm sorry.
0: Um... Help me understand the guy who is, uh, who credits the red rooster gimmick is killing his career is the guy pitching fucking Bill Ding.
1: (laughs) Is that a rib? (laughs) Oh man. I, I mean, really do you, I, you're, you know, you just laid it all out there. Folks decide for yourself. You tell me as a frame of reference,
0: uh, for the popularity of WCW around this time, the WCW magazine Uh, has around 47,000 subscribers at the end. That seems like a lot for a WCW magazine. I didn't even know they had a magazine. Well, a lot of people didn't. Uh, so here we go. January 11th, 2001 Bischoff and Siegel host a 45 minute conference call to announce the deal. And Siegel says that Turner never planned to sell, but the offers poured in including from the WWF and that very same day that that announcement is held the AOL Time Warner merger goes down. Uh, One of the new demands from Time Warner uh, in their side is allegedly a 12.5% stake in the company in terms of profit sharing, but no financial obligation should company losses continue to occur. What's your thought on that? Hey, if you do good, give me 12.5%. Give me some money. Yeah. Uh, Amongst the offers, uh, beyond just the Bischoff one and the WWF, was a name that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, Mister Jerry Jarrett. I can't. And this is kind of shocking to me. Uh, I don't know why, because a year later he would uh, roll out TNA. But he's supposedly being funded here by the investment firm that helped take the WWF public a year prior. And apparently ever since then, they had an interest in the business. Did you hear at the time that Jerry Jarrett was one of the potential suitors to buy WCW?
1: I heard rumblings that, that he was trying to get people to use other people's money.
0: Uh, Hang on
1: now. No, I did. That's what I heard. I, but you kind of said that in a shitty way. Did I? I heard rumblings that he was trying to get to use a Well, he people. wasn't going to use his own money because he doesn't have enough confidence in himself to spend his own money to go out and gamble on him running a company. I'm just curious. You know. How was WrestleMania funded? Hey, but they succeeded, didn't they? I'm not. And <laughs> became a billion-dollar company, a worldwide billion-dollar juggernaut. They didn't just run an office out of their home in Hendersonville and run a couple of states.
0: How many states did the WWF run run when uh, Vince bought it?
1: God, a bunch. You're just fucking ribbing me now. No, I'm not ribbing you. Why would I rib you?
0: Well, because that's what you do. Okay,
1: more more than uh, Nashville, Tennessee did.
0: (laughs) You're just going to be this way the whole show?
1: You damn right I am. Okay. I got my pouty shoes on. I'm going to be pout boy tonight. We're
0: talking about Jerry Jarrett. Are you going to give me something before we move on? Well, no, I I just, we did hear rumblings,
1: but it's, it's laughable. It's laughable because we had already dealt with Jerry Jarrett. We had been around his expertise and his great mind. And the thought of him running it was like, oh my God, it goes from bad to worse. So the the thought.
0: Me saying, are you going to give me something? Wasn't so I would get that.
1: What? I mean, what do you want?
0: I'm saying, Had Jerry. I Jarrett, yeah. I'm saying, Jerry Jarrett. This is a cue for you. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if we were, you know, if they were looking for a, a chicken salad recipe, maybe.
0: Uh, help me understand. What do you think if you were to have a conversation with Jerry Jarrett? Let's pretend I'm the investment banker, and you're going to call and ask for the money. Okay. Okay. Ring. Hello. This is Conrad. Huh. This is Conrad.
1: Oh, uh, uh hey, hey, Conrad.
0: Hello, who am I speaking with, sir?
1: Huh?
0: This is Conrad Thompson. Uh, I, I run an investment oh. firm here. Can I help you with something, sir?
1: Oh, well, you know, uh, this is Jerry.
0: Jerry who, sir? Well,
1: you know, Jerry, 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 you know.
0: Mr. Jarrett, how can I help you,
1: sir? Um, well, um, well, you know, we, we, would like to, to buy some wrestling and was wondering, well, you know, I'd like to, you know, you got, well, you know, money, you know.
0: Yes, sir. We're an investment firm. Uh, you have an interest in, in wrestling, you say, can you tell me who we are and, and what exactly you're trying to buy?
1: Well, you know where we, we do wrestling. Well, I, I promoted, you know, I, I did, you know, wrestling in Tennessee, you know, so you were I a had, wrestler. Huh?
0: So you're you're a wrestler, sir?
1: Uh-huh. And
0: and he, and you want me to give you money? Uh-huh. And what what am I giving you money for?
1: Well, you know because well you know they the you ever walk you you know you know Ted Ted who you sir we well, you, you, Ted you know Ted everybody knows Ted Ted Danza. Hey, no, no. You, you Ted know, Williams. You know, the wrestling. Right, uh, you
0: know, billionaire Ted. D. B. B- billionaire Ted DeBiot, the million dollar man? No, no.
1: You know, we well, you
0: know. Turner. Ted, oh, Ted Turner, the guy who owns the Braves yeah, and the Hawks uh-huh. in, in Atlanta. Huh? Ted Turner owns mostly, you know, everything in Atlanta.
1: I'm in Tennessee.
0: So, sir, what am I giving this money for exactly? Ted Turner has plenty of money; he doesn't need our money.
1: Well, you know, you take the chicken and you chop it up, you know, and then you you look and you get well, you know, some walnuts, you know, and you know grapes and um, you salt and the pepper, mayonnaise, you know, when you some sometime, you know, you put raisins, you know, huh?
0: Bischoff's plan was to move the company to Los Angeles and Las Vegas with weekly tapings at the hard rock cafe. Uh, and they were building an arena at the time. And his plan was to shut the company down and go dark for a bit with no shows in April whatsoever. And, uh, he called their very first pay-per-view, which was set to be on May 6th, big bang. Uh, which is obviously, you know, uh, his, his way of saying, we're going to kind of start anew. Everything's brand new. Uh, Variety even reports that uh, Fusion had tried to work out some sort of plan uh, where they would sit down with the WWE and do some cross-company pay-per-views. The likelihood, in your opinion, of Vince McMahon ever doing a cross-company pay-per-view with Eric Bischoff at that time in 2001, where would you put that?
1: Huh? Oh, um, yeah, that'd be slim to none. I'm thinking zero. Point, you never zero. say nah, you never say zero, but One. it was slim. Okay, not much higher than zero, not much higher than zero. No,
0: okay. Um, some of the boys start to get nervous around this time, and folks are wondering what's real and what's not. Do you think that's fair based on Bischoff's uh storylines and angles where he would kind of work the boys, so to speak?
1: I think it's fair. When you look at the state of the business in WCW at the time and the state of Turner and being absorbed and purchased by time Warner. So I think there was a lot of just unknown and I think people were nervous, not knowing what the hell was going to happen.
0: Well, some of them start to get phone calls from fusion around this time, uh, specifically the big money players with guaranteed contracts. And, uh, they're asked to take a 50% pay cut. These guys are uh, names you recognize. The Steiner brothers, Kevin Nash, Sting, Bill Goldberg, Rick Flair, Dallas Page, Lex Luger, and Booker T all get this call. It's unanimous. No one says, yeah, I'll take half the money. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Isn't that crazy? Well, would you? But I mean, who even says, well, let's just see if they'll take less.
1: Apparently, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't there, but apparently folks at Fusion did. That's crazy to me.
0: So the due diligence starts and folks expect it to take 40 to 60 days, but by March, it's still not done. Now we're going to have some folks who say, Hey, what's due
1: diligence kind of explain that. Well, they would have to get in and they would have to see what the business, the state of the business actually was. They would have to go through discovery and take a look at the profit and loss statement. And well, they will start from the beginning. You make an offer you make to an buy
0: offer. a company based on the information you have, but you don't have all the information.
1: Right. And frankly, you have a lot of rumor and innuendo. Really? And you have to get in and find out what's real. And so this is kind of like... Uh, I love a, how you're leading me this week. It's just... Um,
0: so you're like taking a, a, a car and you're having your mechanic check it out. Correct. You check it under the hood. Let's see Great the, analogy. Show me the car facts. Uh, two days before the March 18th pay-per-view, which they called greed, which is pretty ironic, uh, Kellner, the new CEO of Turner broadcasting announces they want to focus on comedy and sports to make their networks more high end. And, uh, what that means is thunder and nitro are canceled effective at the end of the month at the end of March they're done. Uh, and this all goes down while Eric and Siegel are on vacation So WCW starts passing out the 90 day notices at this point and carry everybody listening through the 90 day notice and what that means from a wrestler contract standpoint.
1: Essentially it means you're, you're done in 90 days. (laughs) You have 90 days, uh, left for the most part with them. They were guaranteed contracts, 90 days left of being paid. And after that you're out on your own. Um, how long had that existed in the business? I don't really know. Um, as long as I can remember. Even prior to the Monday Night Wars, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I believe there was always some kind of notice in there if you wanted to get out of it earlier or. Something either side like that. or just the company. I don't know what they had on their
0: side. Uh, the WWF, when you guys implemented ninety-day clauses, was that either side can get out in ninety days? No, or? no, that was that was usually just on the company side. What was the percentage? Would you say, were releases? using this 90 day clause based on injury, as opposed to just, Hey, we don't have anything for you creatively. God, I have no idea that I'd
1: I at it. I don't know. I wouldn't know. There, I mean, I
0: don't know. I, I, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people who, who would listen and say, Hey, if he was injured, it's not fair that you cut him and gave him 90 days.
1: Well, if they can't perform, then they can't perform
0: Uh, at the pay-per-view, everyone starts to think this is the end, and it gets so bad that Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger actually walk out uh, for a bit during the pay-per-view before eventually returning because they didn't want to be in breach. Somebody smartened them up. That, hey, maybe this isn't the best call. Uh, Johnny Ace is handling things for Bischoff here, uh, and he would have a big role throughout this entire process. Uh, somewhere around this time, a spokesman for TBS named Jim Weiss says to the New York Times, Basically, we've decided that professional wrestling in its current incarnation is not consistent with the upscale brands we've built at TNT and TBS. Therefore, we will not be carrying it. How much of this did you guys deal with during the Attitude Era when you're telling everybody to suck it and crotch chop and do, you know, giving birth to a hand and lots of craziness? How much of this pushback did you get from networks about it not being upscale?
1: From the networks themselves, not a whole lot because it was.
0: Mostly just advertisers with that?
1: It was mostly groups like, um, I forget what the hell they were called. That's what parent right, teacher saying, council. Parent teacher council. People like that. Watchdog groups and things of that nature. But our audience, for the most part, and the network, they didn't have a problem with it as long as it was producing ratings and bringing viewers.
0: Uh, the next
1: day. Uh,
0: after the pay-per-view on Monday Nitro, Bischoff calls into the show and says, quote, many of you may know that for the past six months, I've been working with a group of people whose goal it was and is to acquire world championship wrestling and to grow it once again, to become a competitive dominant wrestling organization worldwide. But recently we've hit a couple of roadblocks that may be in fact brick walls. Uh, do you remember, seeing this episode of nitro i do not did you watch it at all at the time not a whole lot no so tell me kind of at the time in the monday night wars the rumor and innuendo are everybody you you guys and wcw have a monitor of their show is that in gorilla is that just in the truck or where no that was only
1: in the truck we, okay. didn't, we didn't have that Have that stuff going on backstage. You know?
0: So at this point,
1: because there's lots Vince of... Vince might have had one in his office, but uh, for the most part, that was just in the truck. The truck. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So it's not like... You know, they also had NBC and every other <laughs> network on, too.
0: Yeah. There's a talent viewing room uh, at WWE shows these days. Sometimes it's separate from catering. Sometimes they just put it on the TVs in catering, and that's where the boys kind of watch the current product. Was there ever a time... Or any of those showed the other show too? Never. Okay. Um, I'm curious because this feels like something you would have watched on TV. There's lots of reports that since they had a West Coast feed or a replay that guys would perform on Raw and then get to the hotel and then watch the replay at Nitro just to see what the other show did. You didn't do that or you weren't doing it at this point?
1: If we were in town and we were at a hotel that had TNT, sure, I'd watch it. Uh, but at this point... At this point, it was so far gone. It didn't and matter. so bad. Well, it didn't matter, but it was difficult to watch, too. Sure.
0: Uh, I'm just trying to get a feel for, during the Monday Night Wars, when you're in the front office and you're booking or your talent relations or whatever the hell you're doing, you're producing
1: TV, what was your viewing schedule like to watch Nitro? If there was something to watch, I would... As you said, if we were in town and we were staying over and there was a hotel that had TNT, we would watch it in the hotel that night. Otherwise, when I would get back to the office, uh, there were always tapes there. People that taped, that was before DVRs. So you would have and, somebody
0: in production or in the studio, tape yeah. it, and then bring it to your office and yes. you just watch it there? Yeah.
1: So let's, but normally I'd, I'd ask somebody, what is there to watch? Is there anything on here I need to look at or take a look at? And Who, who would be your go-to person for that? Somebody from production, whoever I'd look at, what, what was on there? Is there anything here Howard worth Stern, taking a look at?
0: Howard Stern has guys just watch TV shows, uh, like he pays them to do that and mm-hmm. just look for stuff to talk about on the show. Did the WWF employ someone that you know of whose sole job was to watch WCW programming, take notes and report it?
1: That was people that were, there were probably people in the studio that did watch it. Just do it, reported. just to yeah. watch it. Okay. Yeah.
0: But it wasn't But I mean, formal, that wasn't their only job. They, but there's not an email that goes, that, here's our nitro report. No. Okay. No. Um, I'm curious, a minute ago, you said if we got to the hotel and they had TNT, all hotels had TNT. No, we, they didn't.
1: Uh, we, would, uh, we would watch it. Who was we? Me. I mean, uh, whoever watched it. I'm saying I, I didn't share rooms, so I I would go back and watch it in my hotel room. Sometimes Jerry Briscoe would come and join me. And, okay, but it's not
0: like it? we're all going oh, we go oh, to we're all gonna no. go to Vince's room and watch it. And, Absolutely not. Okay, no. all right. Uh, so here we are. The Thursday before the final Nitro, March 22nd, it's announced that the WWF had purchased WCW. That happens on the Torch website, and the Torch is who I used for all of my research this week. Uh shout out to my good friend the Greensboro jackoff himself Mr. Bruce Mitchell pwtorch.com is where you can see more great content like the stuff I'm going over today. Uh the Wall Street Journal <sighs> covered it the very next day on the 23rd. And supposedly the executives and attorneys worked until the wee hours of that night on Thursday morning uh to get a short form agreement in place and the speculation at the time that was reported Was that it was somewhere between 10 to 15 million dollars. But in recent years, we've heard those numbers fluctuate depending on who you ask from two to four million. So before we talk about money and you tell me we're not talking about money, uh, tell me when you first knew for sure, hey, we're really a player in this thing. Because it came out in January that you guys had made offers. But tell me about that, you know, what you heard back then, maybe in November, December, January. And then when you knew in March, oh, shit, this is a real thing.
1: Well, I found out it was a real thing probably that Tuesday or Wednesday before it happened.
0: Did you? What did you hear in
1: late 2000,
0: early January about Vince possibly making a bid?
1: I don't remember hearing anything serious at that time other than... There were feelers put out there, but there were ridiculous numbers that were reported at that time,
0: 50 to 80 million, in and there the,
1: yeah, he was not interested in that at all.
0: Sure. I mean, there's no sense in it.
1: no. Um, the The interest, just so it's clear, what we were interested in was if there was a possibility that it could remain on TNT, the the time slot was interesting. Uh, being on another network was interesting, and being able to take the brand and expand it on an already established time slot, and already established network. So that was attractive at that time. When we found out that was not really going to be a possibility, it changed to the library. Um,
0: so... When did you know, Hey, this is really going to happen. You said the Tuesday before.
1: Well, really we didn't till it was done on that Wednesday night. And as you said, it did go into the wee hours. And that was Stu Snyder, who was the WWF CEO at the time. And Stu had previously worked for TBS. He, He worked for cartoon network. Oh, wow. Okay. And Stu was the CEO. Great guy. And during all this, negotiation back and forth. The guys at TBS had reached out to Stu, because here we are the largest wrestling company in the world, whether or not we were interested, would we like to buy it? And also looking to Stu for some advice and what they should do. And the offer came up and then here we were.
0: That's kind of interesting. Uh, And I take it that they contacted him because if you're trying to unload this thing, who the fuck else even knows what to do with it? Correct. I mean, it's really a yeah. unique deal. Um, so when do you first uh, you, you hear about it? And what does that sound like? Um, what's Vince say? i you know,
1: pal. Well, okay. But let me, let me rewind this to a little bit, just so you understand where, where we come from. When Vince bought a casino in Vegas, I'm sitting at home and get a phone call. Hey, pal. We bought a casino. What the hell? No one knew. No one even knew Vince was in Vegas. And he went out and bought the damn Debbie Reynolds casino. So there were, you know, a lot of things, you know, at times that weren't discussed. It just happened. Weren't discussed and just happened. You're sitting there going did you know that? And everybody's going, did you know that? Did you know that? And he would go off on a whim at times, obviously in his mind, he knew what he wanted to do and, and had, a vision. Did it. And he, and he did it. And that's the way that Vince operates. So to hear early on, well, yeah, we'll, we'll throw out a bit at WCW that you hear those things all the time. When I heard, we're going to buy the uh, restaurant there in times square. And we're gonna have a WWF themed restaurant. Goddamn, pal! It's gonna be the WWF restaurant. It'll be bigger than Planet Hollywood, bigger than Hard Rock. And like, oh, okay, great. Next thing you know, you're <laughs> doing a grand opening in Times Square, the most expensive property in Manhattan. And so you you're shocked constantly, but then you learn how not to be shocked. So it was just kind of another day at the office. okay, we're gonna buy WCW.
0: How does he tell you or I mean here's my here, here's my question in my head, he, he at least he goes to a couple of confidants and says, "Hey, what do you think about this?
1: He asked what we thought about purchasing uh, possibly purchasing the brand. Who is we? we I was a part of it. Uh, Stephanie, obviously, Shane, Kevin Dunn. Uh, Brian Gwirtz, I believe Michael Hayes was there. I don't know for sure. I don't remember. Paul Heyman was there, and wait, 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 wait. wait. This is March, and yes. Heyman's there. Yes, Heyman, was and there. he's involved in this meeting. He was involved in it. For now, the Vince reason, wanted to pick his brain and see what he thought.
0: The reason that's shocking to me: he had just debuted as an announcer on Monday Night Raw. ECW had not yet even ceased operations and filed bankruptcy. That wouldn't happen until April. And he was in the meeting. He was a
1: part of the creative team at that time. When
0: Vince said, so he can, wait a minute. He walks in a creative meeting and says, what do y'all think about WCW? Well, he pulled a few of us out and asked us, yeah. And am I to guess that this is in the big conference room on the top floor? No, this was actually at the television studio in the conference room there. Okay. And so you guys are around a big table. And Vince is at the head, and he goes around the room and says, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Pretty much. So carry me through. What What, what do Shane and Stephanie think?
1: They were for it and thought it would be a good idea. Again, it all depended upon what the conditions were, what the price was. Sure. What, what we got for the price. And and at that point, you don't really know. We had no clue. Yeah, we he- We didn't have any clue. Other than, the you know, you know, you library get, was attractive, right? The, the lure of having the name, the brand, the, the logo, name, the brand it was like, okay, you know, they've kicked our ass before. Maybe we can reposition the brand and build it to be viable again. So, so you guys all have those type of, discuss- maybe we could make a
0: show. Sure. Okay. So it's just a free form round table what if
1: yeah and i'm sure vince has in his head what he wants to do but he just wants to hear he wants yeah he's the kind of, he'll he'll take an idea from anybody carlos the janitor doesn't matter
0: what about uh pat patterson what did he think pat wasn't there okay uh what did Heyman think
1: well sir wcw is a dead brand it's dead and you know, he just—I don't know—he just kind of. Uh,
0: so he shit on the idea everybody else is pro.
1: Paul did kind of, yeah. Paul Paul buried it, and why? I think in Paul's in Paul's burial, I think that, and this is Bruce saying this is not what Paul said. Nor have I had any conversation with Paul. My interpretation of Paul's burial was that I think Paul felt that Vince should have done that with EC, uh, ECW.
0: WCW is a
1: dead brand, but ECW was a dead brand to what would ECW invest
0: millions invest, of dollars, you know,
1: whatever money he was going to pay for WCW, take that same money, give it to keeping ECW alive. And and that's my interpretation. That's my conjecture of what I kind of think that the underlying I i'm a huge,
0: is. I'm a huge ECW Mark, as you know, but, uh. The number of eyeballs that saw and recognized WCW compared to
1: ECW is two totally different animals. True. But you had the owner of ECW sitting at the table. Sure. And and Paul. Which, so Vince of hears you're this
0: and, and just knows to take it with a grain of salt.
1: But again, he wanted to listen. He was interested in Paul's opinion.
0: Uh, the most popular idea, though, kind of the common idea at the table is let's <laughs> give WCW a show and create our own competition with it, try Correct. to redo something. Yes. Uh, so then, the the show, you know, or the the deal is made in the wee hours of the night. Uh, is this something that we would have, you know? There's the uh, the famous McDivitt. Would he have been involved in this, or is this not the group of attorneys that Vince would lean on for that?
1: No, this was more the in-house attorneys. Jerry might have been involved in it. I don't know, but it was mainly Stu and uh, I believe Frank Serpy. I know, well, I know Frank Serpy was involved in it. Frank Serpy was uh, the head of the finance. I think he was ahead at that time. Might've been Augie, might've been Frank, but I know Frank was involved in the transition. Was there any
0: gamesmanship to hiring a guy who used to work for Turner to be your CEO for WWF?
1: Stu? Yeah. He worked for Cartoon Network. I mean, it wasn't like he was in WCW or anything like that, but he was a bright guy. But he's familiar
0: with the inner workings of Turner Broadcasting.
1: Yeah, but that didn't matter at that point. Well, we I just did didn't know. On. We had our, no. It was he was because he's not a he wrestling a hell of a, guy. No, he had a hell of a resume for had television. A hell of a resume, yes, without a doubt. Um, I'm going to
0: ask because real time. The number that comes out at the time is 10 to 15 million, depending on who you ask. More recently, it's two to four million.
1: Just you, know, not up or down. <laughs> it sure as hell wasn't 10 to 15. How do you like that? See, I just talk numbers with you. Was it was it less than four? Yeah.
0: Okay. Was it more than two? I'm telling you. Okay. So it's less than four. Um
1: It wasn't nearly as much as everybody thought. When you hear the number, who do you hear it from? Well, we didn't hear a no I you know what? I did not hear a number till after the fact. And was shocked. I was shocked. Because you'd been hearing all these huge numbers. You'd been hearing about what Fusion, you know, like said, the $60 million, $80 that, million. Dollars. That's and, what I'm saying. Like, and you're thinking, oh, my God, how much did we pay for this thing? Right. And then when you hear what the actual number was, you go, wow. Okay, cool. Roll Tide. I didn't say Roll Tide. That would be a misquote. Yeah. But I, that's what I would have said had I known you at that time. And
0: Did you partly think, um, well, goddamn, pal, for that, I would have bought it sure i mean (laughs) that would not have been difficult to pull that kind of money together for a deal like that i don't think no not at all i mean that's crazy i mean especially when you look at how much money went into the development of the network that we enjoy now for only 9.99 a month this is a bargain sure
1: uh when do you know what all you're getting we didn't and we knew that we were getting the library but the due diligence hadn't taken place we hadn't had discovery we didn't really know what was there
0: let's run through it just you know like a third grader they rent office Well space. hang on
1: I, I'm sorry I'm going to answer your question uh, a little bit differently we knew that we were not we were not going to assume any of their debt and we knew that we were not going to assume any talent contracts that whatever we did with talent we would redo under the WWF name we would not because we had no idea what they were.
0: So instead of buying the company,
1: what you really bought
0: were physical assets. Correct. The logo.
1: Right. And the library. Right. Um We brought a bunch of a bunch of different But When you uh, buy IPs the, you buy like the
0: company though, you inherit the debt. And so to to just, you know, kind no, of do a fire do it. a yeah. fire sale here. Correct. Um so, let's run through this. Turner owns all the real estate. So, WCW doesn't own any land or buildings. Uh, but they did own, you know, silly shit like rings. No, well, that's not silly for a wrestling company to own wrestling rings. No, but I was, for, when you're talking about, you know, millions of dollars.
1: Yeah, they own, they own wrestling rings. I mean, we got the rings. We got Bells Belts old... and, you know, entrance sets. and uh, Yeah, I don't think we really even took much of their sets we we did take their their trainer boxes that they had, like the big crates that you see on um concerts and things they roll around backstage they had some nice trainer setups um afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls how to refine your mental models and how to think about I believe Rock got one in Florida. I think I think Taker got one in Texas. Um, I think Booker T ended up with one. I'm fascinated. But, but Booker T ended up with his. I think from Mark to to Booker.
0: From the Undertaker. Yes. Okay.
1: I'm fascinated by a WWF
0: talent like the Undertaker getting a WCW ring. I don't know why. I mean, I guess this is a dumb Mark question, but. Outside of like taking bumps or something, what could he really do with that The ropes are different, it's a different size. you know as a wrestling fan, I get this is a dumbass question. I've always been told WCW rings were smaller, WBF rings were bigger and that the ropes were totally different, they're cable. so it's not like you could do flippy shit off of it and it translate to the exact way it would be in a WWF ring and it seems like your timing would be off if the ring was bigger.
1: Yeah, smaller. that's true, and, and all of that is true, but it was a place to take bumps, and if you're going to be recuperating from an injury, you could go in and wrestle around, take bumps, things like that. Not ideal. Like Undertaker, for example, uh, ended up with the WWE ring. So, um, like I said, I think Booker ended up getting uh, some of those rings eventually. But it was there. We figured we might be able to use them. And we did use some of them for spot shows where we needed smaller rings, things of that nature. Well, Use them for developmental, some of the places that had smaller venues.
0: But I just mean in terms of a lot of, you know, a lot of, like if you bought a construction company, you're getting a bunch of machinery, you're getting heavy equipment, you know, you're getting
1: We got rings.
0: You got rings. We got rings. Um, Anything else you can remember you guys buying and getting possession of that you remember thinking this is kind of cool or this is kind of silly?
1: No, not that I can really remember.
0: Uh, do you um? You've always been a title belt guy, like our great sponsor, Leather by Dan. Do you remember any of the belts you get? You guys got, and and remember thinking this is kind of cool that we have this. No. Okay.
1: <laughs> Honestly, no. They were. I mean, that's were, the
0: only thing I remember being on TV that
1: was really WCW. Aside, is, aside from the big gold belt, there weren't really any cool belts.
0: Yeah and it's neat to see Shawn michaels with that belt and the rock
1: with that belt
0: i mean that's kind of fun
1: without a doubt that's that part's cool but it was the rest of them were just belts you know they're just props
0: yeah you know uh so bischoff announces um on this next to last Nitro, that the final Nitro will be what he calls Night of Champions, and he invites all former champions to come to the final WCW broadcast on Turner, Uh, and the penny-pinching at this point is out of control, and Brad Siegel insists on personally improving travel and talent for the final show, and they even lock down the office to make sure nothing is stolen, and there are reports of security checking briefcases and Even frisking office staff as they left. Have you ever heard of some silly shit like this? No, but I can understand it. What would they be stealing, though? Who knows? You know, letterhead? Yeah. Pens? Who knows? Well, rumors are some folks still managed to get a workaround and wised up and just mailed stuff to themselves. That's
1: classic.
0: (laughs) Because you can't leave the building with it, but, you know, we'll pay for the postage to
1: send it to your house.
0: (laughs) This is hilarious to me. Uh, before the show, AOL starts offering the final show, rather, uh, AOL starts offering guys who are on guaranteed contracts, um, you know, a buyout and let's kind of run through the money here, which obviously Bruce, you know, wasn't privy to since it was an AOL deal. Uh, but allegedly guys who were earning less than $500,000 a year would be offered 70 cents on the dollar as a lump sum. And guys who were earning between 500,000 and 1.5 million would be offered 40 cents on the dollar. And guys who made more than 1.5 million would only get 30 cents on the dollar. And the torch notes that that's just where the negotiations opened. Uh, but the idea here is if you accept, you're free to go work for the WWF. So you kind of get paid twice. You get one lump sum right now. And if it uh, goes according to plan, you'd make way more going to work for the WWF. Which I guess is probably a good strategy for AOL, but it doesn't really work out. Uh, Nash says that he's just going to ride it out and then kind of feel out the WWF in 11 months when his contract is up. There's supposedly no interest at the time from the WWF side in Luger or the Steiners. Can you confirm or deny that?
1: Well, there was no interest in assuming any of those contracts.
0: Um, but I mean, in terms of outside of that contract, like if they got a buyout and they were available... Luger never came. It never got to that point because they weren't available and, and they weren't taking buyouts. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of those guys don't and Goldberg specifically. And, go ahead.
1: And frankly, we looked at it as we understood. The oh, guys, sure. The guys it, were, were making a sick
0: amount of money and I got to sit at home and do nothing and check the mail and get a big check.
1: And, and there was no problem with that.
0: Yeah. That's hard to argue. Uh, Goldberg, uh, had, uh, two and a half years left on his deal. Uh, the year that WCW goes out, he was making 1.2 million. The next year he was scheduled to make 1.7. Million. And the third year of his contract, it was 2.2. Million. Uh, so when he gets the call from AOL to make this offer, uh, he very politely says, fuck off. How do you
1: politely say fuck off? Well,
0: I'm being facetious. Well, you know? Uh, so here we are now we're at the final nitro and, uh, Shane McMahon supposedly holds a meeting and tells the boys that there will be a WCW TV show in about six to eight weeks, but all the details are not yet ironed out and to be patient at the same time in Cleveland, Vince McMahon is holding a meeting at TV to tell the WWF crew that this purchase would not affect their jobs. So you're not there in Cleveland. So let's talk about that first. Um, did you know that having a meeting with the guys to tell them, hey, everything's okay, this isn't going to affect your employment, was necessary?
1: Oh, sure, because the the talent, all they knew is, okay, wait a minute, they're buying WCW and they've got all those guys, or are these guys going to come in and take our jobs? Or we, You now have double the talent, perception-wise, that they're buying a company so everybody thinks that they're buying the talent, buying the company, and all these guys are going to come in. What are you going to do with them? Right. So to reassure them and just let them know that you guys are all safe, you're good, and we, we really don't know what the hell we're doing yet. But the intention was never to, to thin the herd, if you will.
0: Um, let's talk about the final nitro. We're here. Uh, tell us who went. When you knew they were going, what the plan was, what the directive from Vince was, and what your role was supposed to be that
1: night. It's March 26, 2001. Shane McMahon and I went from Stanford. Jerry Briscoe met us uh, from Tampa in Panama City that day, and it was the three of us. Were you, guy, were you and Shane on the jet? Shane and I were on the jet from Stanford. to. We flew from Stanford to Cleveland. We dropped everyone else off to go do RAW, and then we flew to Panama City.
0: Uh, what time of day did you land in Panama City? I don't know, maybe eleven o'clock. Oh, so early. Sure. Um How big is that Panama City airport? Not very. About as big as this studio here. It's uh it's tiny. I've flown in there I flew in there this past year and man, I, I think they have like two gates. It's hilarious.
1: Do they really? It's I don't absurd. Even, I thought they just had the one. It's tiny. Now, tiny, of course, you we went tiny. into the private thing, but it was it, it was still like but, there's a damn difference. That's my point.
0: <laughs> I think it's all the same
1: there. Um. So
0: why why u three? Talk us talk us through uh, who makes the decision that it's u three when you know
1: it's u three and why u three. Vince made the decision. The decision was made on the Saturday night prior to the show. Um. Jerry and I, Why's Jerry going? Jerry's going because first of all, he was in Tampa. He's an agent well-respected in the business and we needed a, a wrestling agent there. So Jerry was close and it was easy. Um, I was there because from a television standpoint and from a talent relations standpoint, television standpoint, being able to run the show. So there
0: wasn't a fourth man with you?
1: No. Uh, well, the, Tim Walbert. The uh, Tim Walbert was a director, and he was also someone who would sit in for Kevin Dunn as exec, as executive producer when Kevin would be away.
0: Well, here's what I asked because there's parts of this show that are simulcast, which to me means there's going to have to be a WWF rep in the WCW truck, and
1: that was Tim Walbert. Okay. So where do you sit at this show? Are you in Gorilla? Are you on a headset? I was all over the place, but I spent most, most of my time in and around Gorilla, but I was running all over.
0: So you landed 11. Do you guys go straight to, I would say the building. Do you go straight to the bar?
1: <laughs> well, Shane and I had to wait for uh, Jerry Briscoe to arrive, but when we got there, we went uh, straight in. It was a hotel that we... Headquartered in, and that's where they had all their production offices. A shitty hotel. A extremely shitty hotel. Yeah. And we got in there. We met with John Laurinaitis, who was our liaison for all of this. And Johnny, we we just went over. We had had been dealing with Johnny throughout the weekend as well, letting him know what we wanted to do. And, And the crazy thing was when this decision was made, all of a sudden, bear in mind, Back in WWF land, WrestleMania, the biggest show of the year, that Sunday was coming up. That Sunday, yeah. So now we're taking Shane McMahon, who's a huge part of the WrestleMania promotion, facing his father at WrestleMania. Uh, Gerald, one of the the top agents, and myself, we're now removed from the Raw production, and we've got to go in the go home show in the go home show for WrestleMania, and. On top of all that, from a creative standpoint, we got to rewrite Raw, we've got to rewrite SmackDown, and oh, by the way, we have to write Nitro too. So, not only do we have to rewrite our two go-home shows for WrestleMania, we have to write the show of the people that we just bought. So it was extremely challenging from a creative standpoint and, uh, taxing in a lot of ways, but, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. So
0: you land, you get a rental car. No, we had a, we had a
1: limo. Okay. We had a limo. Where do you find those in Panama city? It was there waiting on us. Uh,
0: and you go, uh, in this limo to one of the shittier hotels in
1: Panama, Sydney, and there's a little. Yeah, I haven't been up. to a lot of hotels in Panama City. It's the one of the worst. But I would have to venture a guess and say that this could be one of the shittiest hotels I've ever been in in my life. And I have been in some shitty hotels.
0: So you get there and you see that you're going to be wrestling on the beach uh, near a pool at a bar. And
1: uh, who all is there that you remember running? Into? As soon as we arrived, like I said, we were in a stretch of limo we pull out. And I, I also remember, I, I don't know why, but we were either on grass or on dirt. And Tim Walbert was the first one to come up and introduce, you know, everybody to us. I saw Craig Leathers. Craig Leathers was an old WWF alumni who worked for Turner Broadcasting. And he was in the truck for Turner and WCW said hello to Keith Mitchell. Keith Mitchell, we've spoken about Keith here on the show before. And Keith was the director, producer for WCW, said hello to them quickly. And then we quickly went into the wonderful, sweet accommodations that we had at the hotel to meet with John Laurinaitis and kind of go over the show and let him know, give him a game plan on what we were going to do for that day and that night.
0: What does John say when you meet him?
1: Oh, hey, guys. How's everything? we got a nice little room over here for you. Be your office. That was about it.
0: The most recent time we talked about him on the show is on the Vader episode, where he kind of indicated as a representative for all Japan, he acted as if the WWF superstars had no name recognition.
1: Nobody knows who these guys are.
0: Undertaker,
1: no one's ever heard of him. Yeah, it was, uh, but uh, look, you know, Johnny was doing his job. And I got to say this, and i throw this out there to any and everybody that's ever worked in talent relations. Absolutely the single most thankless oh my job yeah. in the world. You get zero credit. You get all the heat. You're the biggest asshole, and nothing you do is right, and everything you do is wrong, and you're He's just a, a dumbass all the time. Um, so my,
0: should it be the best paid position in the office? It
1: should be because it is the most heat seeking position in the office without a doubt.
0: Uh, what are your memories of club La Vila? Try to describe that for our listeners
1: who aren't familiar with the redneck Riviera. You know, you and I have talked about this off, off mic about, I don't remember a club per se. I remember the hotel, I remember a beach. And the club is huge and on the weekends it gets like 6000 people. But there. it's outdoors, right? It's it's, uh, it's inside and I outdoors. I never went inside in a club at Their all.
0: Their gimmick is party with thousands and it was the reason it's being used here and it's not anymore. But the reason it's being used here is because it was featured prominently on MTV in the 90s. It was port- Spring Break? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It was hot back then. Uh, and by the way, a lot of fun to be had there in the 90s and early
1: 2000s. Well, it was a drizzling shit that day. I'll tell you that. Um, There's a shirt, drizzling shits.
0: Hey, that's a thing in the business, too. That would get yeah. over it. So talk me through on camera, Vince makes some sort of joke about how it's fitting that WCW's last show is in a redneck beer joint. Was that everyone's?
1: Take on this. Well, it was obviously Vince's take on it. It was it was actually a shame, in my opinion. Absolutely. That the last Nitro <laughs> is this shit? is not in an arena, is not in a traditional setting, and that the last visual is on a beach with a couple thousand people in a, just a kind of crappy environment. And to me, that was a shame, and and it was a shame for those fans of WCW, the you, you wanna remember it how it was at its heyday. Right. And its heyday was not on the beach Club of Vila. Right. So that that kinda sucked.
0: When you um when you know you're gonna be at this show, I gotta ask is there anybody you're not looking forward to seeing? Not really, no. Uh it's reported in the in the torch that Shane McMahon had security.
1: <laughs> we had, we were met at the airport with three by three plainclothes police officers from Panama city. And they came up, they introduced themselves and said, we've we're here. We're your security. And Shane was like security for what, what the hell do we need security for? I called Liz DeFabio, Fabio, who was uh, Linda McMahon's assistant and Liz is a wonderful wonderful woman but she could be a little paranoid sometimes and and they had gotten security and I said well in case something happens I was like what the hell's going to happen right there's a bunch of bunch of people who have no idea what their future is unfortunately they, they neither want do jobs. we they want jobs You're not, and the
0: way to get hired is to not
1: beat up Brother Love, right? I mean, (laughs) and
0: and it also wouldn't be difficult to do, but um, yes, it would. You're in the Karate Hall of
1: Fame three times, Black Belt Hall of Fame. Sorry, goddamn, pal. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but but also you got Jerry Briscoe there, and you know if Jerry wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked, pal. Who wrote the show? That was the creative team.
0: We we wrote it. The creative team for WCW. Yes. No, no, no. The creative team for WWF. Who from creative is there for WCW? Was Kevin Sullivan there?
1: No. Was uh, Mike Graham there? John Laurinaitis was there. No. That's who we pretty much dealt with. Who from the office is there? Uh, maybe Terry Taylor. I remember Terry being there. Did you ask him what time it was? Did not. He wouldn't be able to tell me anyway. Roll Tide. Um,
0: when you say we wrote the show. It's you, Heyman, Shane, Stephanie.
1: Brian Gewirtz, uh It was the creative team. So um, I don't want to misquote who I know Brian was a part of it. I know Paul was a part of it. Vince was a part of it. Stephanie was a part of it. Michael Hayes.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you guys write the show with guys who are featured on the show who you think you'll be able to work with? if this WCW TV show does indeed come to fruition, the one you guys all kind of talked about in the The, conference?
1: The premise of the show, the Nitro show, was to have a happy ending, to, to leave a good taste in everybody's mouth, and to give them a bit of nostalgia, and also to try and just... They had already advertised a world title match. They had advertised a a tag team Yeah, Booker T and
0: and Scott Steiner were advertised.
1: But they also, I think they had advertised a tag team kind of tournament deal. Uh And they had advertised the uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, Sean Stasiak match. Tattoo match. So those things that had been advertised, we just said, well, let's just go ahead and do them and and be done. Uh, Here's my question. Why not Goldberg? Because Goldberg, I don't think Goldberg was working at the time. Why
0: not make him be on camera? No Kevin Nash.
1: They they weren't there. They We also were working with the roster that Time Warner and those guys had already planned. We weren't going to spend any money to bring anybody else I in.
0: So if Brad Siegel said, here's the list who's coming, you guys right. get the list and made the show.
1: Right. And the goal is. And there was no, and there was no need to bring, you know, fly in a bunch of extra guys to just say goodbye.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the actual show now. The show opens uh, the very last night show, March 26, two thousand one, with Vince McMahon. <laughs> is that a rib? What a rib! It seems like the isn't that biggest... great
1: though. Well, you go back and you you think about which I'm just thinking about this now. I'm I'm just freestyling here. You think about black Saturday. Yeah. How did a TBS show open up Yeah, with Freddie Miller introducing Vince McMahon? Yeah. So it was kind of poetic justice. This is what Vince does. Sure. Fuck you. I won. He did. Uh, so he's featured in the opening
0: broadcast and a pre taped backstage segment, um, that was filmed in Cleveland. And, uh, he announces here that he had bought WCW and would address the WCW fans and wrestlers later in the show. And it was going to be broadcast on both TNN and TNT. Uh, and then they opened the show
1: simulcast.
0: Yeah. With a Ric Flair promo and Ric Flair comes out with a very interesting haircut because he had recently had his head shaved, um, on a nitro episode. And here's a little tidbit for you. A WWF referee has that hair. Oh my
1: god. Uh isn't that awesome? I think it's cool. Seriously, to have another man's head shaved ha- uh, hair? I'm kidding. I have my daughter I have my daughter's uh
0: locket of hair. First and she's and a second, baby. No,
1: I have her I have her first and second ponytails. Wow. That, that my wife did, cut off and did then she lose was broken.
0: Did she lose them in a hair versus hair match? Mask she, versus hair match? You're too much. Did Brutus the Barber come over strut and cut and clip that shit for her?
1: No, I was devastated when they cut my baby girl's hair.
0: When did you cut your hair, and become a
1: normal citizen? Nineteen ninety two.
0: Um. So this is one of Flair's better promos. Do you? That yeah, was great. Do you remember the promo? I do. Uh, he comes out and talks about how did I hear Vince McMahon say that he held he held WCW in his hands and. Uh, he names off all the great NWA champions, uh, guys, including, you know, Jack Briscoe, who was never actually a WCW champion, but
1: whatever. No, he was a real world champion. <sighs> NWA world heavyweight champion.
0: Then Booker T the U S champion defeats Scott Steiner for the world title. The big gold belt. You talked about a minute ago, uh, an old gold version oddly enough. He has Medasia with him. Scott Steiner does. And this is maybe the best Scott Steiner ever looked. We just watched this in preparation for this a few days ago. I thought it was a great match. Uh, yeah. Especially considering it's on a beach, <laughs> it's elevated. The ring is, it's, just, it's not the most ideal circumstances. It's not like these are paying customers. These are just, you know, people here for a free show. Uh, and Booker T wins with the bookend, and you you said a minute ago you kind of wanted to send everybody home happy. Scott Steiner's the dastardly heel, Booker T's the babyface, so let's have a little feel good moment.
1: Tomorrow. Exactly.
0: Um, the next segment that we go to is Rey Mysterio Jr. and Billy Kidman, and they defeat Shannon Moore and Evan Courageous, as well as Kaz Hayashi and Jimmy Wang Yang. Uh, I think they just called him Yang here. He would later become Jimmy Wayne with y'all. Jimmy Wang Yang. Um, talk to me about these guys. Mysterio is here without a mask. Of course, when he debuts with the WWF and we'll cover that, I'm sure in the future, he has a mask and contacts. Uh, why would you guys, is this just a merchandising piece of piece of business decision that Hey, we can sell more gimmicks if he has
1: a mask. What, when Ray came in later? Yeah. Oh, it was Ray Mysterio. I thought that Ray Mysterio without the mask didn't work. He was just too cute. He, he Good-looking young guy. But the mask, there was a mystique about the mask, and that's who he was. In my opinion, it was a mistake to take the mask off of Ray in the first place. I thought he lost a lot of his personality and his mystique.
0: Yeah, I can't... Um... I can't argue that he tag teams here with Billy Kidman. Uh, and we made an interesting observation the other night when we watched this, isn't it ironic that, you know, of all the people who are on this show and who are here at WCW at the end, the person who actually goes on to have maybe the longest run out of the bunch is Billy Kidman. I don't know that anybody would have necessarily guessed that. And that's not a slight against him. I just found it interesting
1: yeah billy's still there running gorilla position and he's an agent and doing good
0: uh tell everybody what uh running gorilla position and specifically what kidman does now because people are fascinated with kind of what happens behind the scenes
1: oh hell i have no idea what the hell they do there now back when when i was there it was simply to help time out the matches and keep the matches on cue and give cues to the referees and
0: yeah, cues to the referee just, is what I hear is, but is also, most common but,
1: for Kidman these days.
0: Just but the main thing is you,
1: you coordinate with the truck, and you're the last bastion before talent go out to be able to give them direction and instruction.
0: Uh, also in the match that we mentioned, Shannon Moore, he, of course, would be like Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. Before him, he would have a shot in the WWE. So would Yang, which we mentioned, would be renamed Evan Courageous and Kaz Hayashi, to the best of my knowledge, don't ever have a run with the WWF. Do you know why that may have been? Just no interest.
1: I don't know if there was anything in particular, but maybe they didn't want to come. I, I I don't remember specifically.
0: Um, This is for a Cruiserweight tag title tournament. And the winner of this match will go on later to have uh, a match for those Cruiserweight tag titles. Uh, there's lots of cutaways here, uh, and we won't cover each one, but there's lots of cutaways in the show where on nitro, it shows Vince with Trish on the couch and, uh, she's congratulating him and he's on the phone and he's opening a champagne bottle and William Regal is interrupting wearing a WrestleMania 17 Jersey. Uh, talk to me about when you guys were writing the show, why you thought, Hey, it's the last nitro. Let's put Vince making out with Trish on the show.
1: Because it was an opportunity to plug WrestleMania 17 coming up on a completely different network. People are tuning in to TNT to watch Nitro. We now own it. We're going to plug our biggest show of the year coming up on Sunday. That's all.
0: I'm not arguing that. But your method of doing that is showing Vince making out with Trish? That was a storyline. That was a huge storyline at the time. Why just that one and no others? Because you know what the culmination of the show is going to be. And you just want to get as much Vince on there
1: as you can. Without a doubt. You want to build the, the idea was to build the anticipation at the end with Vince, Vince is gloating all the way through. And then you pull the rug out from under him at the end.
0: Um, so then we get, uh, the cruiserweight title match with sugar. Shane Helms defending his cruiserweight title against Chavo Guerrero Uh, And you made an interesting observation when we watched this the other night. Uh, The referee for this is Scott Armstrong.
1: Without a doubt, you had all three guys in there, and they are all producer agents for different wrestling companies out there today. You had Scott Armstrong, whom I didn't even recognize, in the ring referee. And I had to ask you, who the hell is that? You say, Scott Armstrong. And, uh, of course, I argued with you.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: it's, no, it's not. It's, right. it's what we do, folks. We do it in real life, too. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is.
0: So I pause and say, how about look at his face? Because you used to different color hair, probably.
1: Uh, different color of hair, and he was much younger then. And so Scott is one of the uh, lead producer agents at the WWE now. And then you got Chavo Guerrero, who's a producer agent in Lucha Underground. And then you got Shane Helms, who's a producer agent at TNA right now. So all three of these guys to end up in a very prominent role behind the scenes 16 years later in their career.
0: Uh, Shane wins the match with a Uh When we saw this together, you made a comment about the vertebraker. Share that with our listeners.
1: I just hated the i I thought it was a dangerous move, didn't like it, and didn't think he should use it. And told him that night not to. I I did request that he not do it, yes. And but he, somebody else said to do yeah, it. Yeah. Shane Shane approved it. And Shane, Shane McMahon. Ruled Shane McMahon. Um, Lots of Shanes here. Yeah, there are. Goddamn pronouns, pal. Last names. Um, hey, I don't know when we'll talk about this again. Were
0: you in the meeting when Shane Helms comes to the WWF and is told you can't be Shane?
1: I don't know if I was in it, but I know that we discussed it. Yeah, I can't have two Shanes. It's impossible. Talk... <laughs> God damn, you can't have two people with the same name. (laughs) Change it. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's confusing. What if if we had Shane Helms wrestling Shane McMahon? Shane with an arm drag. Which one? Is that why
0: you made him Dean Douglas? Or just he owned Shane Douglas?
1: Well, no, that was... I mean, it's pre-Shane being on TV. Yeah, it was do something different with him, too. Different gimmick and everything. Um, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by that. Well, I'm curious. What don't you like about the vertebraker? I just felt it was dangerous. I mean, but if you because, get, because the guy given it, can't see the guy that he's giving it to. I, I it how's just, it just scares me.
0: How's it any different from the style? Squash? Don't like that either. Okay. Booker T, <laughs> uh, gives uh, an emotional interview when he celebrates, um, you know, having both belts now, the U S champion and the world title. And he kind of hints that he's not done. Uh, and then we go back to more Vince and Trish, uh, Michael Cole interferes. Michael Cole looking quite young here. Uh, 15 years, young uh, and slender, Tony Schiavone and Scott Hudson. By the way, Michael Cole's in phenomenal shape now.
1: Oh yeah. He's always been in phenomenal. Well, he had a little while there, but, uh, Tony and, and Scott,
0: Uh, Hudson openly ponder their futures on the show. I'm curious. As far as I know, Scott Hudson was never given a serious
1: look by you guys. Yeah. We used him as play-by-play in the very first WCW. I mean, Tony Schiavone. I'm sorry.
0: Why would Tony have not, I mean, Tony is kind of the voice of WCW.
1: I don't know. There was there wasn't a lot of interest in Tony. Vince was never a big fan of his work, even when he brought him in, and
0: even back in like the
1: eighties. Back saying, in the eighties, Vince wasn't
0: a fan of his work. Who who made the call in the eighties to bring Tony in? Vince did. <laughs> no, I get that, but you said he's not a fan. So there was somebody there saying, "No, he's good. Give him a shot."
1: Well, I was a fan of Tony's, but way back early on. So were you kind of uh, pushing no, the Tony No, it, it thing? was it was just one of those things that happened. He was available and. Um, I think his voice fits
0: wrestling perfectly. I watched SummerSlam 89 recently thinking and hoping and praying that Zeus would win. And hearing his voice on a WWF show was fun. Okay. I enjoyed it. Good. Big fan of his. All right. He's funnier than shit, too, if you get a chance to see him live. He doesn't do very much wrestling stuff anymore. But if you have an opportunity to see him at a a fan fest or something like that, you should go.
1: Tony's funny as shit. He really is. That's a witty, witty dude. Yeah, real life, Tony's funny as shit, and he's, he's a damn good uh, baseball play-by-play guy.
0: Lots of talk here and rumors coming out of this show that Tony went off script and kind of went into business for himself because he's he's got some pretty edgy commentary here. Is, is he on his own there? That doesn't seem like a Tony move. It feels like a directive from you guys.
1: Well, it was a directive from us for them to be edgy, and we wanted to give that sense of uneasy. Like it's a hostile takeover? Yes, so, you know, I, I thought he did a good job on it.
0: He did a phenomenal job. Um, I'm just fascinated that he never gets a shot. It feels weird that he just goes away.
1: I don't know that there was interest on his part. I, I don't really remember. And he also had a contract. Maybe it was one of He just of those, wrote it out. Yeah. Maybe. Sure.
0: Why not? No, I get it. Uh, I'm glad to see he's doing some stuff with the network now. He hadn't done anything with Aaron in a long time. And I think in the last couple of years, he started to pop up on some just segments Then uh, you know he belongs there you know uh the next segment is also some rumors and innuendo uh palumbo and o'hare are there uh in an attack team title match to face team canada which is mike awesome and lance storm who you know i'm a big fan of um chat me up about o'hare all three of the others will go on to have Uh, runs in the WWF and O'Hare's there for a bit too, but lots of folks really saw something in O'Hare and he never really becomes the main event player that a lot
1: of people think he should have been. Why do you think that would have been Sean? Unfortunately, and I saw a lot in Sean O'Hare, but he was missing it. There was that, that intangible it factor that Sean was missing. We, we tried things, we put him with Piper. We, we tried a lot of different things with Sean and it just, he never connected with the audience.
0: He connected here in W C W. he's a big dude, he's in great shape, he's doing the swanton, he's
1: got a of You say he connected, but moves. he didn't draw money, he didn't he he was a guy that did moves, a big good looking guy. But I don't know that he necessarily connected with the audience. He was put in a play, he, he wasn't put Hypo- on top. Hypothetically,
0: if they put him in a vest and gave him a Superman punch, could they make him look strong? We tried that.
1: We tried a lot of things with him. I was making a Roman Reigns. I know what you were making, but again, it, it doesn't fit. I think Roman has more charisma. Oh, in, I'm not
0: arguing that. I, I think Roman's tremendous. I'm just saying you're saying that not with the audience. He doesn't. He didn't. he didn't.
1: He didn't. He never made that connection with the audience. They didn't, they didn't care enough to boo him out of the building. Thank you. They care enough to boo Roman out of the building. They care about Roman. Look, they didn't care about Sean.
0: We'll never talk about the current product, but real quick. Have you ever seen a phenomenon like Roman Reigns in your life? I love it. Now, he's a phenomenal wrestler, and I think half the people booing him don't even know why they're booing him. They don't know. They just just think it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm just fascinated
1: by that. But uh, I go back to the the same analogy that,
0: that at least they react to him. Half of my smart mark wrestling fan friends who tell me they don't like Roman Reigns, if I say, why don't you like him, they don't know what to say. Right. I just don't like him. What don't you like?
1: I don't know. Oh yeah. You know what? We'll we'll do one day and I, and I I will talk about the, the travesty that is the whole Roman reigns, why people think they don't like him.
0: Yeah. We'll get into that another time. I do want to state clearly for the record, Roman reigns is a hell of a nice guy. I've had an opportunity to meet him a few times. He could not be nicer. Great family. Great dude. Rick thinks the world of him. He's yeah. always been super cool to me. Hard worker gets a bad rap. Uh, okay. So this match is over. Uh, O'Hare wins with the swanton bomb. And, uh, then we get a review of the Stasiak Bigelow feud and, uh, Stasiak in his corner has the hottest property that you guys would get from this show or from this match. Anyway, Miss Hancock, who would go on to be Stacy Keebler. Uh, Did you know when you met her that day, Hey, this girl's money.
1: Yes. What was
0: it about her that stood out to you as being?
1: She was beautiful and had legs that wouldn't quit. Roll tide. And she was so nice. Had a very naive air about her, but she was strikingly beautiful in real life with, with no makeup on or anything. And as sweet as the day is long.
0: Uh Bam Bam Bigelow here, uh this is a tattoo match. It's worth mentioning. Uh who booked this shit?
1: I I guess Russo and them were doing it at the end. I, I don't know. Um so the, the that, g- that was one of those that we inherited.
0: The gimmick is if Bigelow wins, he gets the tattoo Stasiak, uh who was running around saying that he had the perfect body and blah blah blah. Uh Bigelow wrestles in a T shirt here. What did you think of
1: this match,
0: Stasiak
1: and Bigelow? You know, it's sad because Scott Bigelow was a friend of mine and, and I loved Bam Bam. It was sad to watch and I really didn't remember it until I just watched it. And it looked like an indie guy trying to be Bam Bam Bigelow is what it looked like to me. Because he had the big t-shirt on. He didn't move like Bam Bam did. He was heavy. He was really heavy. And it just wasn't the Bam Bam Bigelow that I remembered.
0: Uh, After this match, we abruptly cut to William Regal, uh, hyping up WrestleMania 17. And then Regal buries WCW just wanting to make sure that Vince knows what he's buying and he really want to buy it. Uh, when they come back, uh, Shivani makes a smart comment about Regal that was scripted, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, DDP gives an interview where he promises bigger and better things and thanks uh, the audience for allowing him to be Diamond Dallas Page. It was a pretty cool segment. I'm glad that they allowed him the opportunity to speak to the audience uh, because he was Mr. WCW there for a little bit. And then they run a really cool... Uh, video package of all the former NWA and WCW world champions. I thought it was nicely
1: well done. Do you know if WCW did that or did you guys put that together? No, WCW did it. Those packages, the WCW packages and all that, that was all on their side.
0: Uh, then again, we go back to Vince and he lets us know it's about that time. And then we get another batch. We get Elix skipper and kid Romeo. Uh, Tagging against Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman for what is probably the ugliest set of tag team title belts in history. The WCW Cruiserweight tag titles uh, shortly live. They don't get a lot of play here. Uh, And the match doesn't get very much time either. Uh, Under five minutes here for this tag team championship. Elix Skipper, did he ever get a serious look by the WWF?
1: I don't really recall. It was, um, I, I don't remember. He was right. phenomenal in TNA. Him, the
0: early days of TNA, he was. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Really, really. underrated. Uh, I think he was based out of Atlanta, and uh, a lot of people will remember him for famously walking uh, the top of the TNA cage when they had the six sides of steel there, uh, and then doing a Hurricane Rana off the top. Rey Mysterio Kidman, of course, everybody knows they had success in the WWF, and I don't know when we'll talk about him again. Somebody said I would say that, and I did. Kid Romeo. Your thoughts on Mr. Kid Romeo?
1: Don't really have any. Me neither. (laughs) And Uh, we will never talk about him again. I mean, I'm not marrying the guy. No, I don't know
0: when he'll come up. Like he ain't winning a poll the whole time. Uh, Then we go uh, to Sting, who does a backstage promo. Uh, He tells us it's showtime. Uh, Did you think at this point Sting thought this was his last match ever?
1: I don't know if he did or not. Um, Sting is an emotional guy, but yet very understated. And he's, he's about as calm and cool a cat as you're going to find. How many times had you met Sting? I knew Sting when he was in the business three months in mid South, uh, the old UWF. That's not what I care about.
0: How many times did you talk to Sting when you worked for the WWF? A couple times in the, okay. You talked to him in person or on the phone? On the phone. Well, I, both actually. Okay. And so here... This isn't an uncomfortable meeting. Do you say, you think we can put something together? And he says, he my contract did not head? even discuss it.
1: Really? Did not even discuss it. Hey, he's the biggest star on this show besides Rick You're right. Fire, Would you agree? But we had, we didn't know again, we had to be very careful what we said, what we did say, what we didn't, what we could say, and what we couldn't say. And because the deal's technically not final. I mean, it kind of is, but it's kind of not. And we didn't, I didn't want to say, Hey man, we'd really love to have you. When after we look at everything, nope, don't want to touch that. We we, we just had yeah. Well, we just had to be very careful. What well, we could and couldn't say legally, and and we were walking on eggshells.
0: So here we are in the main event now: Ric Flair versus Sting. Uh, this is the last match on the show. Why this match last rather than the world title?
1: I think if you look, and this was coming from a historical vantage point if you look at going back to when wcw really took off in the two stalwarts the when you think about wcw you, th- you really would think about two names and that was sting and rick flair and back in 1988 Eight. for the first what was it clash
0: of the champions clash of the
1: champions. When they had their first big match that was a classic, it was Sting and Flair. They had a legendary rivalry all throughout WCW and we just felt that was a good way to kinda close close the door on, on the old W C W with one more one more match.
0: And here it is. Um It's kinda interesting. The first Clash of the Champions, the first Nitro. The last Nitro, and I guess this is technically the first night of Champions. Rick Flair versus Sting it goes about seven minutes. Sting wins with a Scorpion Deathlock. Um, Rick wrestles in a T-shirt. Yep, Rick's never wrestled in a T-shirt before. Why did he wrestle in a T-shirt here?
1: Well, Rick had been in a uh, different role up until that point, and Rick had not worked in his gear in quite some time. And he had been having matches in his suit and been going out and doing comedic skits and hadn't wrestled in a match in in a long time. Hadn't wrestled in boots even at that point. He was doing a lot of stuff non-wrestling oriented. So Rick wasn't in the best shape. He, He wasn't in classic Ric Flair shape. And I don't think Rick wanted to go out. And take his shirt off, and people go, oh, my God, he's out of shape. So he, he wanted to wear a shirt. And I didn't care what the hell Ric Flair uh, wore in the ring. He's Ric Flair. Right. And I said, no problem. Do what you need to do. And he was, he was more comfortable that way. And we wanted everybody to be comfortable. And I'm certainly not going to dictate to Ric Flair what the hell he wears in the ring to go do what he does. So we didn't have a problem with it. Give it to me. What's that?
0: It was an interesting Ric Flair story from the last time. Oh,
1: Rick didn't bring his gear, but the gears there. So fill in the blank. Well, they had it countered, countered that day. What does that mean? And we had somebody, uh, in Charlotte, whoever was in Charlotte, I don't know if it's David or, or his wife or whoever. That's probably Megan. Got the gear. I'm freestyling. Okay. And got the gear and got his boots and his robe and everything. And, and sent it. We had someone go and pick it up at the airport and bring it in. So when you see
0: Rick, he finds out he's supposed to be wrestling in the match. When Saturday
1: would have been, we, well, we told them on Saturday and that was John Laurinaitis who was to communicate that to talent.
0: And so you see Rick or Rick comes up, who does Rick tell? How do you find out he didn't have his gear? He told us comes up and says, Hey, didn't bring my shit.
1: I don't have my gear. I didn't know I was wrestling. And you say, well, we need to get it. And, and Shane I know was there. so
0: Rick says, oh, I can't get it. I mean, I'm here.
1: There's nobody there. Yeah. He started making other suggestions yeah. of other things he could do. And we said, no, don't worry about it, man. We can get it here. We'll find a way. <laughs> and we did. He just really did not want to not, not wrestle, but he was self-conscious of the way he looked. You know, Rick has always been self-conscious and, and he is his own worst critic. And I, I used to say to him all the time, I said, man, you're Rick Flair. Yeah. Just go gotta be Rick Flair. Right. You're it. They'll forgive you. Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot to forgive. He's Ric Flair. Yeah. So, you know, roll tide and, and he went out and performed and gave one last hurrah. So we thought.
0: At the end of the match, uh, the two men embrace and it feels like a good ending for Nitro except for, and this is maybe only me saying this, Tony Schiavone doesn't get to say
1: goodbye. Okay. How do you think he deserved that. Well, it's not about what he deserves. It was about telling the story, and it was about—and frankly, it was about giving one last plug to WrestleMania. I, I get so all that, it, Bruce. It, but if you're saying a, we wanted
0: to book it to, for a feel good, but we
1: weren't—but we weren't looking for you know goodbyes here. We didn't want to say goodbye. We're never going to have WCW again, okay? Because fair it enough. was a brand that we wanted to, to, to keep to going keep and do going. A show. So if Tony Schiavone says goodbye feels well, like then, the okay, end. goodbye. Yeah. And we didn't want it to feel like the end. We wanted, you know, to be continued at the at the end of that show. So the simulcast begins and uh
0: Vince has lillian Garcia introduce him again, and he's in the middle of the ring and says that uh the deal's done, but he's yet to sign the contract and that Ted Turner himself is gonna have to walk that contract down the ramp at WrestleMania to him and uh he takes full credit for winning the Monday night war and says that, uh, the only way to beat a billionaire is to become one yourself and that he didn't do it with the help from anyone he did it all by himself. Uh, and then he starts talking about his match at WrestleMania 17. He t- threatens to uh, choke the life out of Shane, just like he did WCW. And then he asked the WWF fans in attendance in Cleveland, which WCW stars they wanted in the new WCW. He does a thumbs up, thumbs down deal here. Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, Booker T Big Papa Pump, a Goldberg chant breaks out, but it doesn't address it. Sting and then Goldberg. Uh the crowd probably went the most insane for Goldberg, and given what we've seen here in twenty sixteen makes a lot of sense as he runs through the list though, Hulk Hogan gets another shot. Lex Luger does not buff. Bagwell is there for a cup of coffee. Uh, Booker T's there. Big pop pumps there sting eventually. Um, and then at the end, he finishes by saying that he's firing uh, everyone associated with WCW and claiming that WCW will stay buried. And then Shane's music hits and, He appears in front of the live Panama city crowd for nitro. And this is a pretty big deal, uh, when this happens and he says the name on the contract, uh, is McMahon and that it is signed, but it's Shane McMahon, not Vince McMahon. And then they run a promo on both shows, including nitro. For WrestleMania 17. I'm fascinated by this because, and I only learned this in doing my research here, Vince asked Siegel about this simulcast possibility and was supposedly surprised at how easily he agreed to this. When do you find out that the simulcast is an idea and then, hey, it's happening?
1: Probably Thursday
0: or Friday. So right after before. the deal's made. Okay. Yeah. Uh, triple H was given credit for the idea of the simulcast. How fucking genius is that? Oh, it's a great idea. I don't know who came up with it. If, if he did, it was a great idea. Uh, supposedly Vince did not get permission to run this WrestleMania commercial at the end of Nitro. It wasn't agreed upon, but I guess at this point he's bought the damn thing. What are they going to do? Right. Pretty slick. Well, you got to promote your show. Uh, the word on, uh, the street is that Shane was very, uh, down to earth and friendly to everyone. Just a good dude. Shane dude. is a down to earth. Good dude. Uh, but even the WCW guys are reporting that at the time. They're obviously nervous about that. Uh, supposedly no intimidation or weird games or head games. And a lot of people have painted vents with that picture, um, over the years, but not the case here for Shane. No, Shane's a good dude. I mean, he is. Supposedly, Shane Douglas no-shows the show. That's what the Torch reports. Uh, Do you remember him being written onto the show? I do not. Did anyone notice he wasn't there? Nope. Uh, Also, allegedly, Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger were there, but left before the show started. They were there, yeah, and they asked to leave. And they weren't booked. Nope. So when you guys wrote... So Siegel sends them, and when you guys write the show, you leave them off. Why is that?
1: Because we, we put Flair and Sting on, which were not on the show originally, uh, working. So we, we put them on and we added Shane. We didn't have room to put everybody that they had there on the show. It just feels. So th- I mean, think about it. We, we added two huge segments to the show. And we, we couldn't use anybody, everybody anyway.
0: Obviously, I'm a big Shane Helms fan. Shout out to Shane for listening. But why would you just bump? Shane Helms and Chavo Guerrero to get Lex Luger on TV one Why? more time. Why? were they involved
1: in in some angle they had promoted?
0: It's a WCW show. It's the last one. It's Lex Luger well,
1: again. We couldn't get everybody on the show. that shit. All right, backstage. Tori Wilson's there.
0: She doesn't work for the company at the time. Uh, she's just visiting her boyfriend Billy Kidman. Bob Ryder's there. Jeff Jarrett's there. She didn't work for WCW. Not at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, B. Brian Blair Road Dog. Wait, who else? Wait, who else was there? Uh, or I'm getting there. Okay, go ahead. I just said his name, you dick. Pay attention. Uh, Dory Funk Jr. All those guys were there. Did was Dory Funk?
1: You know what? We didn't put Dory Funk Jr. on the show either.
0: Uh, he was never in WCW, was he? He's was NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Was he just down there because he was kind of local? And he lived because yeah, he was he training down there. there. Yeah. Give a Dory Funk Jr. impression. No. Would anybody notice
1: if he did? Do not disparage. <laughs> The good name of Dory Funk Jr. from Umbarger, Texas. Uh Road Dog was here.
0: Um he had been released from the WWF uh at that point and he's there. Is there any conversation with him that you remember? God, I don't rem- I don't remember him being there. He may have just been at the hotel after. Might have been. Uh the name we want to talk about though, Jeff Jarrett.
1: And Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. How does he spell You know my baby's got me wrapped around her little finger.
0: Go ahead. How does he spell his name? J-E. Nope. How does Vince spell his oh, name? Oh, how does McMahon spell his name? On Raw, he spells his g- name. g double o
1: double n double
0: e, gone. Does Jeff Jarrett see that or know it's coming? Yeah. He knew it was coming. He saw it.
1: I didn't know it was coming.
0: So you, you did not know that line was coming? No. And when you say he saw it, you're watching it on a monitor backstage? Yeah. Jarrett's beside you. Jarrett was right nearby. Yeah. And when he says that, do you
1: turn to see the reaction? Jeff was cool. I mean, he, he knew he, he just, What'd Jarrett he jet- say? Nah, he was fine. He left shortly after that, took a couple <laughs> of guitars and left, but no, Jeff was cool. I mean, Jeff didn't, didn't think. And I think Jeff had one of those contracts too, but there was no, um, he has an there audible was no- response. He was fine. I mean he he really was.
0: He had to laugh he laughed about it. He laughed about it, yeah. Um did you think there was any heat? Did you think
1: he I mean,
0: yeah, it's funny, but that's a shoot, he's not coming back.
1: Honestly, we didn't know. We really I mean we there was there was absolutely no one that we said, We're not gonna take him, we're not gonna take him. That those discussions hadn't happened. Keep saying, we, we hadn't done discovery. We didn't know. You know, we might've looked at it and said, God damn, they got Jeff Jarrett for two years at $75,000. Let's grab that.
0: Quit tiptoeing, Tiny Dancer. Was what? there heat with Vince and Jarrett
1: right here? I can't answer that because I don't know. I, You know what? I mean, Jeff Jarrett and I had our differences over the years and we were fine that night. You know, it's just business.
0: Rumors and innuendo
1: for years were that there was heat
0: between the two. Recently on the MLW radio network, Jeff Jarrett was on the Ric Flair show. He says there was no heat, and that's all internet. Then I would
1: defer to him on that because he would know.
0: You're in the front office. Why are you acting like you don't? Well, know no, anything? I'm. I'm.
1: Look, there was there was no heat. There was there was no, nothing from the standpoint of Vince saying I don't want that guy. I don't like him. That didn't happen.
0: So Vince only says the J double N just for just for
1: humor. Just, no, for again, it, you take one of their talent, and that's how you start it. They're gone. That was a character, Vince McMahon, the evil owner of the WWF, that's now buying up WCW. He's going to fire everybody, okay. and, and also, and, and I wasn't there. Normally, like I said, did I know it was coming? I didn't. Normally, I would produce Vince on those nights. I wasn't there, so I don't know who produced it, how he came up with it. Or anything else? We had a lot of guys that taped things, pre taped that we sent to the guys in Cleveland.
0: Rumor and innuendo at the time were that the Palumbo and O'Hare match was cut short from eight minutes to three minutes. And there's speculation that this was a test
1: just to see how they would do. That's just fucking stupid. Who said that? Was that that in your your little card sheet? Yeah, that's absolutely stupid, insane, ignorant. By someone who has absolutely no clue whatsoever, what the hell is going on? I wish you had no. a strong opinion. Uh, but that's stupid, and I and I hate to say when things are stu- you know I hate no, to say don't. something stupid. That's stupid. Say it stupid. every week. Say it every week. Well, that's stupid. That's because uh, you bring up stupid shit. That's stupid. You know, no, but, but there's that's you, my role. Th- th- on the th- show. Think about that, okay? Think about everything I've said throughout this whole this whole show about we didn't know who we wanted, we didn't know these that guys, we didn't. And we're looking at it. We hadn't had Discovery. We didn't know what contracts held. And, oh, well, let's test Palumbo and O'Hare. Think of the absurdity in the whole scope of we have WrestleMania coming up in six days. And you give a fuck We've got, about
0: this. Yeah. Huh? Yeah.
1: Uh, but think about the absurdity of let's test Palumbo and O'Hare. Now, God damn it, pal, when you get down there, I want to test this uh, Palumbo and O'Hare Tag team
0: wrestlers believed the WWF asked for the belt to be put on Booker T. Was that your you guys booking that? Because wrestlers you wanted, believe what the the boys in the back believe that the WWF wanted the belt put on Booker T.
1: Just the happy ending, or we were yeah, that was just simply to have a happy ending and have a you know good feel good night. Rumors at the time were that
0: um, they were going to try to start this WCW TV show. And there would be separate creative in separate offices, but the the office would still be Titan Towers, but there would be an off-site spot
1: for WCW Creative.
0: Was that something you can confirm was even discussed preliminarily?
1: Preliminarily, the whole idea was to, to have two completely different separate brands with different creative teams with actually different marketing teams. And in the whole nine yards, that was the pie in the sky. Oh my God. If we could only do this and pull it off.
0: Right. No, obviously that didn't happen. Johnny ACE, uh, after this show works as a liaison for guys who worked with WCW. Um, and he's kind of, on the transition team, so to speak. He had that role for Bischoff, but now he has it for the WWF as well. Why was Johnny Ace a good fit for that role?
1: He was there. He was right place, right time timing.
0: Can you give him a compliment or are you just going to shit on him?
1: No, I mean that I said, why'd you pick him? He was there. We, we didn't pick him from their side. They picked him from their side. How we picked him to come with us was because he did very well. At the liaison role. And he was, he did. He, did a good job.
0: Uh, WCW laid off all the office staff, but WWE held a meeting to invite them all to apply and then gave them all contact sheets saying that the WWF would be hiring in the next 30 to 60 days. Uh, when the layoff meetings happen, and they call this meeting two days after the final night show, this will be the 28th, it's a Wednesday, Loretta Walker from Turner's Home Resources, I'm sorry, Human Resources Department handles it not Brad Siegel, which is what a lot of people expected. I don't know why they thought that he would be the guy to do that. Uh, supposedly, though, Bruce, I want to get your take on this. As it was a
1: test, to all those employees. <laughs> that's what it was. They were testing them. As they're going
0: through all the names and, and trying Christ. to pair everybody off with an HR rep to talk about their exit, uh, everyone laughs when they read off the name Vince Russo, and then they booed. Do you find this a little... silly Silly. yeah that's come on uh at the end of the meeting by the way this meeting is not held in the office it's held at the power plant and as a rule of thumb if your company tells everyone to come to another building for a (laughs) big meeting that's a sign uh it's not funny to laugh but it is funny now it's been 15 years it's not too soon at the end of the meeting Everybody's then told to leave the power plant and go back to their offices. They're allowed to go there now. And when they arrive, they find boxes to pack their things. God, what a way to find
1: out your future. That's horrible.
0: And security escorts everyone out. The Torch reported at the time, a group of former WCW employees have contacted a lawyer and are considering filing a class action lawsuit against Time Warner, citing mental anguish in the company. Uh, had placed that on them during the sale process. Do you find that a little ridiculous? Yes, I do. Uh, rumors are also out there that Eric Bischoff was telling his wrestler friends to talk to him before he signed, before they signed deals with the WWF. Do you think he was doing that based on, Hey, I know how they negotiate. I can help you get more money or I might still try to put something together. Talk to me before you commit to them.
1: I don't know. might've been a little bit of both.
0: Yeah. So, uh, that weekend that's on Monday. When Nitro happens, the layoffs happen on Wednesday, and now we're on Sunday and it's WrestleMania 17. It's in Houston. Several WCW guys were shown in a luxury box. Sean Stasiak, Chavo Guerrero, Lance Storm, Mike Awesome, Mark Jindrak, Sean O'Hare, Chuck Palumbo, Mike Sanders, Hugh Morris, Miss Hancock, and Johnny Ace are all there and on camera. Uh, And the rumor and innuendo are that Stasiak already had heat by this point because he had done... Some sort of primitive form of a podcast and said, yeah, WCW guys are going to be there. We're on the show.
1: Do you remember that? I don't. But if he had done something like that on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson, everybody would have known. Uh, The front office would have heard for sure. You know, that's right. Then he'd really have heat. Uh, uh, Not too long after
0: that, about a week or so later on April 5th, ECW's parent company, HHG, files for bankruptcy. It's official now that inside a two-week span, no more WCW, no more ECW. The war between these three companies is done. The cheese stands alone. Uh, The same day, April 5th, the WWF holds a three-hour meeting to deal with WCW, which Jim Ross called very productive. And uh, the first WCW TV taping was supposed to happen on May 9th in Trenton, New Jersey, And the plan was to air it on May 12th from 11 PM to 1 AM on TNN. This is the WCW show that the WWF was hoping to put together. Uh, and then later they discussed taping on Saturday night and airing it later that same night live to tape. Uh, why do the plans
1: ultimately for there to be a separate WCW show? Well, there were a lot of plans discussed. Uh, you know, there was discussion of having the Monday Night Raw slot be WCW and the SmackDown spot be WWF. And there were a lot of different plans that were discussed, and, and obviously a lot of them scrapped and different things that came up. Um, I, I really don't know what the hell the, the talk is of an eleven a.m., eleven p.m. to one a.m. show on TNN, but it was like I said, there were a lot of things discussed. Well, when you look at it, and there wasn't, we didn't have a lot of talent that we ended up taking from there that was marquee talent. If Fuchsia Media would have gotten their hands on WCW and that deal would have
0: closed, uh, their first pay-per-view, which we talked about earlier, was to be called Big Bang, and it was scheduled to happen on May 6th. Well, of course, the WWF winds up with the property, And on May 6th, no WCW pay-per-view happened. But the big bang everyone was looking for did arrive on May 28th when Lance Storm jumped into a WWF ring to superkick Perry Saturn in the face and the invasion had begun. So let's kind of put a bow on the very last Nitro uh, with the exception of what happened after. So we've talked about what was on camera. We've talked about the rumors and innuendo. We're not going to talk about the invasion. That's for another time. But what I do want to talk about is the show goes off the air. Nitro's done. You're in Panama City. Describe the feeling and the emotion amongst the boys there. And then, more importantly, what I'm interested in is you, Briscoe, and Shane.
1: Well, me, Briscoe, and Shane celebrated with some beers at the hotel. What and kind of beer? I don't remember. Miller light Miller light real Coors light i don't
0: know hey if you're a, if you're a beer sponsor uh something to wrestle with at a o l dot com
1: please and by the way, and we will drink it and we will support you but we we had a few drinks, but then we had to get the hell out of there we had to get to um pop another one for the working man. Uh, <laughs> we had to get to Cleveland, pick up the raw crew and get to Detroit because there was a blizzard coming in to Cleveland (laughs) and we had to beat the blizzard. How high of a high are you on after this show? We're (laughs) boy. We're about as high as you can get legally. And it was just a kind of a euphoria and we couldn't stay there and enjoy it. We, we had to go, we had work to do. So we got out of there. Um, how much beer did you drink before you left? A lot. Well, no, I say a lot. We probably drank maybe six or seven each. Oh, it's not that bad. No, not
0: And that then you bad. get on the plane. What's on the plane? In my head,
1: there's uh, beer and wine. Uh, the plane's got a full bar. Um, How big is the plane? plane's 12-seater. And it was just me, Shane, and, and Gerald Briscoe. You guys had just drank, gotten the jet, right? Hmm. No, it was a couple years old. Okay. When did you get it? It was a few years old when they first went public <laughs> because they, because they liked the because they uh, get a the, bunch of money. Show. Well, no, because it was convenient as hell. Saved us a lot of money too. One day on the show, uh, I know maybe it's only
0: me who wants to hear this. I got to hear about Vince McMahon flying commercial. <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine him standing in line, waiting in a ticket counter, being herded like cattle. He's just a man. I get I mean, that, but his life is so far removed from that now. Like, yeah, probably so. It's just uh, not something I imagine.
1: True debt, true that. So but it was, you know, we got on and uh, we had filet and some Caesar salad.
0: Hashtag humble brag. We
1: started uh, drinking wine. There was always red wine on the plane. Because when Vince got on the plane, he would normally be greeted with a glass of wine.
0: So that's his usual routine
1: for wine to that count was for during the show. time. I mean, we, maybe was, not now. Were time, but yeah, there were times we'd have drinks, we'd have beer, what what have you. Everybody had their personal favorites, and that was during the red wine run. They, that happens uh, in celebration of a big moment, or the no, show it's, being. it's just this, the end of the day. The end of the day, have a drink, yeah. and so we got on. And we're flying from Panama City to Cleveland. So it's just us, the flight attendant, the pilots. And we drank a lot quickly. So we had, we had had a few beers. Each of us had had a few beers. And then we started drinking wine. And we were drinking wine like it was water. And at some, some point, the flight attendant says, guys, i got to cut you off. That's a private plane. I was like, you can't cut us off. It's their plane. And she says, I've got to have wine for Mr. McMahon when he gets on the plane. And you guys have drank it all. Wow. So I thought I had more, but we had gone down to the last bottle. And she, she was like, she had to have, had to have some wine for Vince because he got on the plane. There was no wine. It could have been ugly. So we started, uh, we broke into the Jack Daniels, gargled a little Jack. Gargle? Uh, Why'd you gargle? I don't know. Because I'm business. with two crazy people. I'm with Shane and Gerald Briscoe, and they were gar- gargled, pussy, and uh, <laughs> and and I don't like Jack Daniels. And I was doing Who shots does. of Jack. It's I was, horrible. I was drinking shots of Jack and gargling it. And we're drinking Jack. We'd already drank I don't know how many bottles of wine. We drank a lot. And then we went. Then we switched to beer. And we land in. Uh, a blizzard a blizzard and it was ugly and we get there and everybody gets on the plane it's a 12 seater plane and there were 13 of us freestyle who's on there i know you don't remember all the names. god i don't remember brian stephanie vince uh michael uh dave lagana i don't know okay and but i stood i do remember that why because there were only only 12 13 13 of us got it and i remember vince holding me up (laughs) we <laughs> taking off and landing, which was funny as shit. What kind of plane was it? A Challenger, I think. Okay, but it's a good size plane. And I, I probably could have gone in and sat in the bathroom, but why? When you can stand up, yeah, and you're drunk, sure. But Jerry Briscoe was frisky, and Jerry started taking people down and uh, and grappling on the plane, and it was a lot of fun. It was one of the one of the most most drunk. Most drunk. drunk I've ever been. Yeah. Most most drunk I've ever been in my life. Not the, but one of. I still remember it. So that. That's Where were a we all plus. going? We we're going to Detroit for SmackDown. How crazy is that? Yeah, another. I was like, okay, that's over. That was last night. We got SmackDown to do. We got WrestleMania in a few days. Was that one of
0: the craziest weeks of your life?
1: Yeah, they were all crazy.
0: But this is Houston, so it's your hometown. Houston? You're... the hell are you talking about? WrestleMania 17. Oh, shit. I'm going, it was in hell, fucking how Houston. How the hell did you get to Houston? Yeah. By plane, usually. Yeah. So, Panama City. To Detroit. Well, Cleveland for Raw. Oh, Panama City. Back to Cleveland. To Detroit. To Detroit. Back, I think. To we... Stanford went back to stanford then i flew to houston and then houston and and you were because you're familiar with the houston market you were heavily involved in other promoting yeah. promotional things we'll talk about that another time and then you're in the fucking gimmick battle royal so you've got a lot going and you could argue and i mean i don't i don't guess i have to argue with you it's the you do though. or the second biggest wrestlemania ever at that time it's, yes. th- it's
1: three bigger or is, is seven three two. was bigger in in people but but Seventeen was bigger. And we had every, Fan Fest, and we had everything going on there. We were buying six hundred thousand dollars steers and stuff like that. But we'll talk about that later. So
0: WrestleMania seventeen, a topic for another show. The Invasion, a topic for another show. But wow, this was what happened when the WWF bought WCW, and the final Nitro went down on March twenty sixth, two thousand one. And again, he's on. Twitter at Bruce Pritchard. I'm at, hey, hey, it's Conrad. The show is at Pritchard show. And, uh, we'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard.